Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and join us for our final study in the New Testament book of Galatians. What a great study about grace. Hope you've enjoyed it. Now, as you find your seat, we got just a few moments for an update on our world prayer team. Yeah, Steve, this week, our world prayer team is traveling on their knees through southeastern Asia and visiting countries like Indonesia, mm-hmm. Timor-Leste. I, I had to look that one yeah, up. Yeah, that's, that's a new one for me. That, that's a little island between uh, Indonesia and Australia. Okay. Uh, Philippines, Myanmar, and tomorrow we're in... Vietnam. Yes, Vietnam. And it has a special place in our hearts. Yeah, why has it got a special place <laughs> in our hearts? Well, uh, you know, I worked for many years uh, with uh, the ministry that we now partner with, Far East Broadcasting Company, and it was my honor and joy to actually hire the director, Tree Dang. Ah, we love Tree. Yeah. He's a very quiet man, but boy, does he, uh, God produces a lot of ministry through him. Yeah, I also really appreciate FEBC, Far East Broadcasting Company. Obviously yep. started at a time when radio was the main way to That's go. Right. And our partners there have really embraced uh, different delivery methods FEBC yes. has. And we so appreciate that, don't we? We do. We do. And uh, their flexibility and their commitment, the commitment that they share to getting the word out, flinging the seed as, in as many ways as possible. Now, uh, Vietnam is a very risky, high-security country so we can't get too specific but we can tell you they are creatively handing out uh, the content through to to literally more than a million people we that we know of yeah it, it's it's there's amazing. a huge ministry going on there it's exciting and steve just before we get to the stories because you always want to get to the stories yeah. i know my friend steve um i want to say that it's also a challenge to get uh, the, the testimonies. And you yeah. might say, well, if you're having such a huge impact, why? Well, it's two reasons. Number one is culturally, the Vietnamese people are very lovely, quiet. Uh, mm. They're they're very uh, reticent to push themselves forward, kind of mm. the opposite of w- Americans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so if you ask someone to give a testimony, they uh, they will be reticent culturally. And then, of course, there's the security risk of if I stand up and tell my story, I may uh, yeah, draw to the attention to, to myself. Yeah. But having said that, let's get to some great stories. Okay. Here's the first one. Since listening to this program, my life has really changed. The Word of God is no longer dry and difficult to understand for me. At first, it was unattractive. But what this program offers is beyond all my expectations. It is a spiritual renewal when we see God clearly and enter into a relationship full of love and attachment with God. This program, through the work of the Holy Spirit, does not promise a new environment or a new situation for those who are struggling, but a new thinking and a new mind. Perhaps the most surprising thing that it has brought into my life is that all my needs, all my desires have been replaced by a need, a single desire to know God and love God, more of God every day. Uh, That just blesses my soul. That person just spoke to me. Uh, on a couple levels. One is, I know they're getting Dr. McGee's teaching yep. because of that response. Yeah, there's so much built into there, and the Holy Spirit's in there, and yeah. uh, spiritual renewal, and how the program, I, I, this relates to me as a kid, where it was like, you know, the scripture was dry, and I had a hard time understanding it, and Dr. McGee and other pastors open the word, and you become excited about it, and, yes. and the ministry's done that for this listener as well. Yes. Now, we have time for one more, and it's short, but very powerful. Mm. I am a Christian. However, 
Now, there's a story in that, however, isn't there, Steve? Yes, there however, is. However, I still kept an altar in my house. I yeah. mean, imagine that. For a whole year, I have heard you and now understand how to live in God's will. In early this month, I prayed and asked my pastor to help me destroy the altar. Now I am really free in Jesus Christ. That is so exciting. And it's so <laughs> emblematic or, or so representative of what we saw like recently in our trip to Bangladesh, yeah. where there were many people that were still practicing their religion and yet yes. involved in Bible study. Yes. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study today? Oh, Father, you are so good and your word is so powerful. We celebrate that and we look forward now to studying your word and having that same power work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Galatians 6 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, in the sixth chapter of Galatians, we have been speaking there. Actually, we're now in the very end of this epistle. We've come, very frankly, to this last major division, which was the autograph conclusion, and it begins with verse 11 in chapter 6. And we saw last time Paul's own handwriting. And then the practical part was the sanctification by the Spirit, which we spent some time with. And we saw that the important thing about the Christian life, it has to move out into life. It has to move out in the area of the marketplace, on the street, in the home, in the school, in the office, in the workshop, in the public place, the airport, in all of these places, why the Word of God has to walk in shoe leather. And friends, if it's not walking there, it's no good for a hothouse. God didn't intend those that are his own to live in hothouses, and none of them are to be orchids. They are to be out rubbing up against a very real world. And then they need to realize that whatever they are going to sow, they're going to reap. And if they sow to the flesh, they're going to reap that type of thing. If they sow to the Spirit, why, if they're patient, they're going to reap. It'll always work out like that. And that, I think, is very important to see. I think it was Robert Louis Stevenson that put it like this. He said, everybody, sooner or late, sits down to a banquet of circumstances and consequences. Well, all of us are going to sit down to that banquet which is loaded with consequences. And if we've sown to the flesh, it'll be revealed if we've sown to the Spirit. Now, as Paul comes to the end of this epistle, he said in verse 11, "'Ye see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand.'" And I emphasized last time that when he made that statement that he didn't mean I've written a long letter to you because he hadn't. Epistle to the Galatians, only six chapters. Epistle to the Romans with practically the same subject is 16 chapters. So you couldn't quite call this a long letter in comparison to Romans. But what he is saying is I've written with large letters. And that would seem to bear out what he had said to them earlier in the fourth chapter where he said they were willing to pluck out their eyes and give them to Paul. And that would indicate Paul had some sort of eye trouble. 
I'm sure that he did. And now we find that he writes this personally. He didn't use what we would call a secretary and amanuensis to write. Now he says in verse 12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now, Paul makes quite an issue of this, and this is what is known as counting noses, to be able to report that you had so many. And Paul says the reason these Judaizers want to get you into legalism and circumcised is then they can report you actually as a convert. And it'll keep them out of trouble with certain folk. Actually, you never get in trouble preaching legalism. It appeals to the natural man because law is given to curb him. And a great many of us certainly feel like the other man should be curbed. That is the old nature of the other man. I was talking to a man the other day in a public place, and there came by a boy in a hot rod, and he was driving about 75 miles an hour through a very dangerous intersection. And this man was for having that boy arrested and made to obey the law and put in jail and all that sort of thing. And he is one that today rejects the grace of God. He's an unsaved man. But he's certainly for legalism, you see. Everyone is for the other man obeying the law. And frankly, like one that we can obey. It's like when I was a boy in school, I did high jumping and they'd start off in those days with you about three and a half feet. When it got up to four feet, I had problem and difficulty. So when I practiced, I always kept it down right at four feet. You get up to four feet, three or four for a boy, that's pretty far. So I never did much practicing up there on my own. And that's the way most people are about legalism. They want to be able to clear the hurdle, and they don't want it to be too high for them. So they like that. Legalism is popular. The thing that makes you unpopular will be preaching the grace of God. It's the thing that the human heart finds repulsive, you see. It's the offense of the cross. Now Paul says in verse 13, "...for neither they themselves..." who are circumcised, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Now, the very interesting thing is that those who today claim they live by law are not actually living by law. I believe that the thing that has made more hypocrites than anything else are these people who tell you that they live by the Sermon on the Mount. And may I say, I know that to be true of the experiences that I've had in my ministry. And I can just cite one. I spoke many years ago at a luncheon at the Chamber of Commerce in Nashville, Tennessee, when I was pastor there. And one of my elders, a banker, was president of the Chamber of Commerce that year. And so he invited me a young pastor, I wasn't even married then, it was my first church, come up and speak. Well, I got there a little early, and there was another man there up at the speaker's table, and he was an official in it. 
And I never heard a man curse as that man did. I tell you, he could swear more than any man. And I've heard some that were experts at it, by the way. But this man seemed to be the champion. And so finally, in our conversation, and I never attempted to say anything to him, he said to me, by the way, he says, what's your racket? <laughs> that was the way he asked it. And Well, I said, I'm a preacher. And he looked at me in amazement. He said, are you the speaker today? And I said, yes. And he began then to tread water fast. He said to me, he says, well, now I want you to know that we're glad to have you, and I want you to know I'm a Christian. Well, that was certainly new because I'd never gathered it by the way he talked. And then he enlarged on it, told me that he was a member. In fact, he was a member of a very fashionable church in Nashville, and he was one of the officers of the church. He was a prominent man. And believe me, he was telling me about the wonderful things that he did and all that sort of thing. And then he concluded this tirade of words by saying, you know, he says, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, is my religion. Well, I said, fine. I said, that's great. And I shook hands with him. And I said, how are you coming with it? He looked at me rather puzzled. He said, what do you mean by how am I coming with it? Well, I said, you say the Sermon on the Mount is your religion. I'd just like to know if you're living by it. Well, he says, I try to live by it. Well, I said, I know, but that's not what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. It puts down a pretty severe standard, and it hasn't anything in there about trying. You either do it or you don't do it. And now you say it's your religion, I assume you do it. Oh, well, he said, I certainly try. And then I began to push him a little. I said, well, do you keep it? And he said, well, I guess I do. Well, I said, let's see if you do. I said, the Lord Jesus said that if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. How do you make out on that one? Well, he said, now that one, I might have a little trouble there, but he said, I think I'd get by there. Well, I said, let's try the other one that he lifted to the nth degree. He said, if you so much as look upon a woman to lust after you, you're guilty of adultery. I said, how about that one? Oh, he said, that one would get me. Well, I said, I thought it would. But is the sermon then on the mount your religion? I'd just like to know. Oh, I tried to. I said, look, you're not keeping it. If I were you, I'd change my religion and get one that I could, you know, do something with it. You see what he was, actually. He was a hypocrite. He was around telling everybody that Sermon on the Mount is his religion. He was breaking it at every turn. I'm of the opinion that it also says something about God's name being holy and blessed are the pure in heart. Believe me, that man wouldn't get anywhere living by the Sermon on the Mount. You see, he needed the grace of God. And there are multitudes of people today in our churches that are just like that. And Paul is mentioning that now, and he says this tremendous statement, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And so between Paul and the world, there was a cross. And that is the position that every believer should be in today, a cross between him and the world. And that'll have more to do with shaping your conduct than anything else. And also, 
You will not boast of the fact that you're keeping the Sermon on the Mount or that you belong to a certain church. Are you an officer? Are you a preacher? Are you a Sunday school teacher? You will not be able to boast of anything. You'll just glory in the cross of Christ. And that is the position that Christians ought to have and not in a local church or in an organization or in an individual, but in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the one, of course, who died on that cross. Now he says here in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, he brings something to us here that is the second handwriting that we have here. He says, In Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. And circumcision was sort of a handwriting on the body. It was just a badge that you belonged under the Abrahamic covenant. And it never availed anything. It was just like wearing a button. You belong to a lodge. You wear a pin, a fraternity pin. It becomes almost meaningless. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything. And uncircumcision is no value either. These things carry no value whatever, but a new creation. Now, the important thing is this. Paul is saying here that legalism and the badge of legalism is nothing. And actually, even if you don't have it, and I think today that there's sometimes there are people that like to boast of the fact of what great sinners they were. And they spend a lot of time telling you about what great sinners they were. Well, whether you've been circumcised or whether you haven't been, actually, it's nothing. Those things are nothing. The important thing is, are you a new creation? That is, as the Spirit of God come into your life and made you a new creation in Christ Jesus, and that only comes about through faith in Christ. Now, you see, Paul would never have had any difficulty with the legalism of his day if he was just a competitor in the field. Let me illustrate this. Suppose today that on the market there's all these soaps, and I won't pick out any one, but here comes along a new soap, and maybe we ought to call it clean, because that is something others seem to have forgotten. They talk about they make you smell good, and they make you feel good, but I haven't heard any of them talk about getting you clean, and that seems to be the purpose of soap. So let's you and I get out a new brand of soap. We start advertising it, and we say this is the only soap that there is that'll make you clean. So buy clean and get clean. And may I say to you that we'd get in trouble immediately if we said it was the only soap because there's so many others, and they would really begin to howl. But then that's what Paul was saying, you see. Paul was saying if he just said, well, Judaism is good, but Christianity is better, he wouldn't have been in trouble because that's the way all these advertise today. All the different soaps, they say, we got the best soap. Well, we do a better job than the other folks do. And that's competition. 
Now, you don't dare come out and say, the only soap on the market's our soap. There's just no other soap. And this is the only one will do the job. Then you may get in a little trouble. But the fact of the matter is, you see, Paul didn't say that, that his soap was just a little bit better than Judaism. He said Judaism is nothing, and circumcision is nothing. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, it's nothing. And friends, that's putting it on the line. He says only the writing of the Holy Spirit in your life, giving you a new nature, that's the writing. Now, we come to the third and last handwriting here. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God from henceforth. Now listen to him here, verse 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now will you notice that word marks? And if you want to read the handwriting that was on the apostle Paul, and that's what he's talking about, I bear in my body the marks, and the word is stigmata means scar marks. And Jesus had written on the body of Paul. If you want to see the handwriting of Jesus, look upon Paul's body even. And over in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, at verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. He says, I've received 40 stripes, save one five times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep and journeys often, and so on and so on. My friend, that man had marks in his body. The Lord Jesus had written in large letters on the body of Paul. Now, the stigmata for the sufferings of Jesus in his life. You know, in the body of Jesus, there were five wounds, and Paul was beaten all over. <laughs> and that was his stigmata. And that word, by the way, was used in Paul's day. It was used when a slave ran away. And when he was found and brought back, he was branded in the forehead. I think it was Cave Forum that was put there, CF. And then it was used by soldiers. They didn't go and have any tattooing done, but many of them who were in famous companies, why, they would have the name of the commander actually tattooed on their forehead. And then the devotees of a pagan goddess. There was much of that in Paul's day there in Asia Minor, especially in the Roman Empire. And these devotees, they were fanatics. They'd have that on them. Paul says, I've got on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, and let no man trouble me. Paul says, if you want to know the things I've written to you out of deep emotion and the things that I've written with great conviction, if you want to know whether I believe them and whether they're real in my life, read my body. Look at my body. Just like a cattle and sheep are branded the owner puts his brand on him, and you can always tell the owner by the brand. I was raised in West Texas in the day before they had too many fences, and that's the way you could tell it was the brand. Now, look, circumcision costs you nothing. It's just an outward sign. 
Paul says it's nothing. And he had been circumcised. But he says, I bear the brand marks of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is riding upon my body and upon my life. And I think that today he stoops down again and writes, not on sand in the temple, but he writes upon the lives of those that are his own. He puts a branding iron on us, my friend, on his sheep and on their hearts for eternity. Oh, how important this is today. And there's so little of that that's seen in the church. Those who are willing to bear reproach for Jesus' sake. And that's the thing that backs up a living faith that he's talking about. Our time is up, and we'll begin Psalms next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Next time, we return to the Old Testament in the hymn book of the Bible. That's the book of Psalms. If you want to get ready to prepare your hearts, let's read Psalm 1 together. And download the entire reading schedule for our journey through Psalms at ttb.org forward slash bookmark. Or call 1-800-65-BIBLE and we'll put one in the mail. For even more help in understanding the Psalms, request to receive our monthly ministry newsletter, either in the mail or by email. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here next time. Jesus made it We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.